we're recording now. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to episode one of Prattle Royale. I'm glad you've taken it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay. Um, I'm Victoria and this is Lorcan O'Neill. <laughs> I'm Lorcan. Hello. Okay. This is uh, episode one. I think I've just said that. but um, It's fine. Um, they need to know. They're, they're not aware of it yet. That's true. It's true. Um, we're going to call this one Love and Monsters, I think. Yeah. That's safe yeah. to say. That's, that's a reliable title. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh... In a world where everyone's a critic, here's two more. Past few months, yes, so definitely. we're a bit late to the game. However, I not for the UK. Think... No, <laughs> that's but, true. That's true. I mean, it's only going to be our friends and family listening to this anyway. So yeah, it's they, all good. they'll it's be all good. I'm going to let you explain that. Just the what's going on, sure. recommendation-wise. <laughs> oh sure. So yeah, every episode we'll be tackling something new, or at least something relevant that's come out this week. Um, so, like Vicky says, this is uh, Love and Monsters has just come out this week for the UK, so we're reviewing that. And we've each given each other two films to recommend um, that we've never seen before. Um, one one recommendation is to do with love, and the other recommendation is to do with monsters. It's that, it's that simple, really. And it's then we'll talk simple. about it. We'll, I'll see. You'll find out how I found Vicky's recommendations, and you can find out how much she hated mine. Lots, <laughs> lots of fun in stores. Okay. I feel I feel like a good way to introduce ourselves, apart from being two film fans, yeah. uh, is that uh, we normally have different opinions on things that we see. Hundred um, yeah. percent. Another 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 good thing is that um, as much as uh, we do have different opinions to start off with, Lorcan has the sneaky tactic of explaining it so well of why he dislikes <laughs> a film. It usually overruns my opinion and, and then I have to persuasive. go and change my letter. Yeah. <laughs> He's so persuasive. I change my letterbox rating yeah. within the next few yep. minutes. You're going to have to be so... very confident before you speak to me. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you like a film, don't talk to Lorcan O'Neill. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> basically, don't listen to this podcast, guys. I'm sorry. Cool. <laughs> Just tear everyone at the start, you know? Yeah, immediately dissuade everyone. Uh, cool. Fun this. It's cool. All right. Um, well, let's, so do you want yeah. to start off? You 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 watched it most recently. You've just finished watching it, Vicky. So do you want to go into? I, I was a bit late to the game. I uh, I decided to. I wanted to uh, <laughs> host this podcast today, and then Lorcan sent me a quick like message. Have you actually seen the film seen the that film? we're running? The opening film. For the, <laughs> the opening film. Uh, the answer was no, and so I just spent the two, last two hours because the runtime is one hour fifty. Um, last one hour and 50 minutes watching this um, and I really enjoyed it I yes. had a really good time with it um, so the film um, starring the main star Dylan O'Brien um, Dylan O'Brien I say Dylan O'Brien I think it's O'Brien <laughs> I, I think it's O'Brien yeah well. I think it's safe to say I mean uh, I, so I was raised in Ireland I've never heard of O'Brien okay thank you thank you I was, that's welcome. why I was reaching yeah. out <laughs> okay um, so, so I was a uh, yeah uh I love I love him in most of the things he does. He's my favorite quirky brunette, you know, out of the, the little. There's a group of them. Wait, is, I include a, there's a, 
This isn't the one from Maze Runners. It is. It is that the, one. Th- yeah, who's, who's the main star of Maze Runner? Who's the one and from 13 a, Reasons Why? That's um, Dylan Minnette. Okay. And okay. is that the same one from Percy Jackson? No, that's okay. the other one. Those are okay. the three, then. Three. Okay. Those are the three. Oh, those are the three okay. you were thinking of as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly Perfect. the three. Okay. It's not just <laughs> so, me. No. So we've got the lovely Dylan O'Brien, who was my favourite of that trio. He made his debut on the lovely Team Wolf, which ran for six seasons. I was okay. a huge Team Wolf fan. Sure. Uh, so he's made his kind of comeback from, you know, Love and, um, from Maze Runner, because obviously after his... After like that horrific accident that happened on the third film, he's kind of been low key for quite a while. Um, you know, he did American Assassin and like a few others, but this is like his true comeback, I would say. So it's based in um, you kind of open the film with a few sketches, a little story um, of how the world has pretty much ended because a huge asteroid was coming to Earth, and when they went to destroy it with missiles, the fallout from those missiles altered the shape the genetic shape of all the insects and then they become these huge monsters that basically take over the top and everyone that has survived has gone underground. And so he's been chilling in this bunker for seven years, dreaming about his, you know, high school sweetheart that he hasn't seen but has recently made contact with over, you know, the radio waves. He's found her colony, her other underground colony. He has decided to go above ground for the first time in a very long time and find her. And along the way, you know, he meets like a few friends that teach him how to survive because he doesn't know how to do that. (laughs) And uh, also a really cute dog. And that is pretty much the premise. That's it. (laughs) It's very very Zombieland, but it's funny. I'm so glad you said that. I, uh, whoa, we're not liking the Zombieland. <laughs> Zombieland's such a weird one because it's like the whole like marketing for it was like the whole world is like a amusement park and you have to kill zombies. Mm. And then you watch the film and it's not really like that. But then the ending is it just kind of comes out of like that third act and Zombieland comes out of nowhere. It's mm. so non cohesive. It's just kind of like rambling and then, oh yeah, the film's called Zombieland, so let's do a big theme park thing at the end for no discernible reason it's like emma stone is known as this badass girl that like they know how to survive the two sisters know how to survive the world that's how they've gone around it in Zombieland. and then yeah. suddenly they turn on all the lights and all the flashy attractions as if that common sense has just gone out the window <laughs> because they needed to end the movie in some way to mm. justify the title uh, but no i i much preferred uh love and monsters to Zombieland. um mm. it's whenever it started it's very very early on, we meet on his adventure. Dylan O'Brien's character meets uh, Michael Rooker and a little girl, and uh, so the little girl is uh, um, Ariana Greenblatt, um, okay. also known as uh, so Michael Rooker and Ariana Greenblatt, also known as the Guardians of the Galaxy duo. Uh, younger Mora, the young girl is Younger Mora, oh, and Michael her? Rooker. Yeah, oh, and that's Michael so much Rooker. Fun. Yeah, and obviously Michael Rooker plays uh, the one with the whistle that I've forgotten. <laughs> Yes. I don't... Yondo? Yondel? Yondu? Yondu. Yondu, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, Mm. But now he's like, his character, whenever his character's introduced, I was like, oh no, this is, this is literally just Zombieland. Um, And then also there's that little girl and the little girl's like really like obnoxious at first. And I was thinking like, oh no, is this going to be like one up them on everything? It's going to be really obnoxious. But then like she tries that at the start, but then 
because she's a little girl and like Dylan O'Brien's kind of this heartthrob. Yeah, she just yeah. like fangirls over him. Like, oh no, this is yeah. realistic and really lovable. That's really nice. Yeah. She just forms an attachment to him, as you would when you meet a young guy that just with a cute dog in the middle of the, you know, the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> Which I can relate. I can completely relate to that. Um, um, and then after after the Michael Rooker one, he kind of goes on some solo adventures. Uh, he fights a giant frog at one point. Oh, That's the, how he meets the dog. It's the robot. It's the robot. Oh my god, the robot's amazing! That the seems so amazing. good. I've just watched the film and I completely no. So yeah, no. The giant frog is how he met the dog, and then yeah. he met his friends, and then, yeah. and then he goes and meets you know the robot that he has never seen work, and it's the super emotional scene with yeah. beautiful flying jellyfish and um, yeah. and everything. A little set photo up. montage of his parents, which like you kind of get the flashback to when they passed away, and that's, yeah, that's... just not hard. That's there's, the heartbreaking there's moment. The, there's so much. There's so much heart to it because obviously his mission is mm. to. His mission is to find the old girlfriend, and everything's set up so well because in the bunker at the start you kind of see glimpses of what the outside world is, and then he kind of encounters various elements of that, but in a practical real world setting. Um, so that you've got the overall love story. You've got the little you, little episodic pieces in the middle of the film that like helps you to relate to the character and find them really endearing. Um, You've got this, um, this, I never paid, my weakness in film is always soundtracks. I'll always say I'm not good at it. I don't, I don't remember them, but the music really like stuck out whenever they're in like the scenes. It's just one thing that I like, I kind of really enjoyed the instrumental parts. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, it just made me like feel more calm about what was happening. I think as soon as this film started as well, there was one thing that was like, it has so much rewatch value. I could mm. watch, like, it has so much heart, like you said, and because of that, I could honestly, like, find this film so entertaining to watch again, which is something I don't think, for my recent watches, I would say a lot of. <laughs> no, because it's fun and you want to watch it. Yeah. Not, movies aren't yeah. fun anymore. Um, one thing I will say is, early on, the first thing I was going to pay attention to was how much practical effects there are in the film. And the very first mm. monster they come across, the, ver- the very first scenarios inside the bunker one of the one of the insect monsters has kind of come in and it's all practical they don't build like a giant animatronic thing but everything you see is practical and it does a really good job of introducing you to this world so that whenever the kind of bigger more cgi heavy stuff comes in you don't mind it as much because you know they've paid that attention um to detail and to set the world properly um and then again with the robot that he encounters like that's all that's all just practical, so it's like something he can touch and interact with and doesn't feel clunky. It's all just like really solid world building. Really, it feels really interactive for the main character to take part in on this on this mission that he set up for himself. Oh, I am. Um, you know what? I didn't realize the practicality of the monster builds. I am. Um, I'm I mean, so it, used it, to CGI now. It's that, really like, just I that just, opening I just ran thing. With it. Yeah. I think um, maybe because you're. what would you say is like a really good practical I haven't watched too many I think I've been raised on so much CGI thrown in my face that when I like appreciate older I do appreciate actually I have so on the first opening on this film you have the drawings describing the giant ants and like all the insects it really reminded me of um the old school Goosebumps episodes and there was um, a Goosebumps episode in season three and I remember this from a child, and it's basically where the ants grow super large, like these huge giant oh, ants. Oh, yeah, he, and they he buys an ant farm. I remember yeah. that. 
Yeah. And then at the end of the film, you know, the ants have taken over and he's the one that's in the glass. I just remember that so clearly. Oh and I got that vibe straight away, this like nostalgic kind of vibe as soon as this film opened with. So maybe, yeah. you know. That yeah. kind of like, they, they, I think they, they kind of say it's like a, a, these kind of films are a gateway to, for like younger audiences to get into kind of heavier horror sci-fi mm. stuff like later on. It's like a good gateway for that kind of stuff. I think another cool character to mention is the, not the second lead, but like, you know, the other main focus of the film is the girlfriend that he's gone after. Yeah. So um, Amy, played by Jessica Henwick. Uh, the uh, last film I actually saw her in okay. is um, Underwater. Um, which <laughs> Your favourite film of the year? <laughs> if I feel favourite. If you put Kristen Stewart and Vincent Cassell in a film, I can't, I can't honestly, like the magnitude that that film now has for me. Oh, I understand. Yes. So does her um, agent. <laughs> you stop it. So uh, Jessica Henwick, yeah, she plays the cool Amy, um, who is the person that he's going all the way to meet, obviously. Spoiler, it doesn't go as he plans. You know, it's not the most romantic mm -hmm. uh, conclusion to the film, but... It never is. She's she's pretty badass. Like the end, yeah. the like the end fighting scene is pretty. It's pretty cool. I kind of fell in love with her a little bit at that moment. Yeah, it's it's Which nice to know. see these. It's nice to see these kind of actors that are good, but don't always get the limelight. Kind of getting their own shot. And I I definitely be curious to see these some these same filmmakers deal with the same characters and just see considering how much work they put into world building to see where they take it next because I, I i seem to i feel like i would trust them to kind of build on it even more and come up with an original enough story or they go off and do something completely different that... but have you heard of them the director michael matthews because i don't i haven't seen any of his previous work before what I what else has he done i don't recognize the name he did like two short films something called five fingers for marseille and then basically just jumped to love and monsters so i think he's just been this is basically his first large feature, I would say. That's a fucking strong start. Have we? Are we swearing on the podcast? I, I don't think we've talked we, about this. Yeah, yet. We're, yeah. Yeah. I think we pretty much established that we started okay. a podcast so that we could swear, but that's fine. That's all good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, it's a bloody fantastic star, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, Love and Monsters. I would give it a big old thumbs up. Strong would, recommendation. I think I. Strong recommendation, great leading role for Dylan O'Brien, and um, my fangirl heart from when I was 15 is really happy for him, you know? <laughs> yeah, he, like, I've never seen him, I mean, I think, as well, as far as I know, Vicky, I've only seen him in Maze Runner, and even that is tenuous. You just haven't had the Team Wolf phase, and I can, any girl that's watched Team Wolf seasons one to three is, will tell you how good Dylan O'Brien is as an actor. He's is, fantastic. Is there a season four he's just not any good anymore? Oh, no, it's a season four to six. Mm, mm. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's MT, it was an MTV show. You're going to get, I think three okay. seasons was it's, you know, it's, it's run. Season five, you know. Yeah, yeah, he came back for a little bit, but you know, he had he had other movies to do. Sure, legs to break. Uh, exactly, mm, a bit more than that, but yeah, legs oh, to God, break. Okay. <laughs> what are we moving on to next? Is so that we're are we doing starting love. with love? We're doing our love recommendations. Love. Yeah, what did I recommend to you again? I can't remember. John Carpenter's Starman from 1984. Tell me all about it, Vicky. I can tell you all about it. <laughs> I can't I wait. <laughs> I can't wait for you to break uh, my heart. No, no, absolutely not. But what we have is a very young Jeff Bridges with full-on dimples, a sat yeah. like basically assaulting your screen. 
um, alongside the beautiful Karen Allen. And Jeff Bridges is an alien that lands on Earth. Um, it comes in his comes in a spaceship. Correct. And basically uh, finds Karen Allen's little hut by the river and transforms into her deceased husband <laughs> um, to make her feel comfortable and then kidnaps her in a in this I can't even remember the car. I can't remember the car, but this um, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> like, you don't need to remember. The car. <laughs> but the car is the, the car's a big feature of the film. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I yeah. mean, I guess it's you a road film, car. yeah. Yeah, and they drive across, you know, the USA to get to his meeting spot to meet his mate so he can get picked up again and then go back to his planet. Yeah. And he's just there to gather information because maybe a few, I don't know if it was a few years previous, uh, they, the, you know, Earth or America sent a gold vinyl into, into space yeah. to basically invite, you know, um, aliens to come the and visit if they're fancy. Voyager probe, right? They yeah, that's the Voyager it. Ford? Yeah. This is the basis of it. Um, okay. I had a fun time. I had a fun. I had a fun morning watching it. Sure. So I think it's a very gentle film. I think their love develops in cute ways, you know, over like apple pie, and you know, he brings a deer back to life. He sees the humanity in him, and she's basically just then slowly starts to fall in love with him, as the you know the FBI realized that you know an alien spacecraft has, you know, crashed into Earth and now they're chasing them and so just on the run. They're like, just... Yeah. For, I think, John Carpenter said this is... It was his opportunity to, to show that he can do something else and, like, even though, like, the, visually it looks like one of his films, but it's very much him branching out and I think he said this is his attempt at doing um, It Happened One Night, the... Uh, Cary Grant film from 1934. Oh, I have so, like, not watched kind of, it. <laughs> very good. It's kind of like the genesis of like every romantic comedy. Um, mm. But it's like very much like two people fall in love on the road, basically. Um, yeah, in no, a John I think Carpenter way. In a very John Carpenter way. I love... I think I love everything about it. For, for I think it's because it's John Carpenter's like love film. It took me so long to get around to watching it. Um, but that song is amazing. And the way they, the way they kind of filter pieces of the song throughout the film, and then by the end, when he kind of meets up with the ship, it's just full on orchestra. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Not gonna lie, that song. It's like, uh, it's like the kind of classical, like you know, carpenter synth organ. It's just beautiful, and it's just like there when you yeah. like, as soon as like it takes off, and you're like overwhelmed. Another key music piece is like I knew I would like this film because within the first, you know, thirty seconds, you've got Rolling Stones, you know, Satisfaction yeah. playing as he like crashes down to earth. Very John Carpenter. Like, very John Carpenter. It was it was literally like I was like, yeah, Lock and Nosy. Like I'm going to enjoy okay. this film as much as I say, and I really like it. It didn't like overwhelm me. I don't love it, and I know that you no. probably want me to. Whenever they're no. whenever they're like saying goodbye at the end. Tell me how to say I mean, goodbye. Oh, come no. on. Oh, man, I mean, that gets I, like, me. It didn't get me. It didn't, it didn't reach, you know, the tear ducts. It didn't, like, uh, I felt, I thought it was adorable. Because he's it's so, It's more than like, adorable. It's a woman like, gets know, a he's... second chance to love again, Vicky. And he gave her a baby as well. That just completely took me by surprise. He was just like, I've given you, give you a baby. Yeah, I can take it away. It's, as well. it'll, it'll, be, it'll be her coping mechanism. Now she's got something to remember her actual husband by as well. Because that's the thing. Karen Allen is struggling to, 
move on from her husband. Uh, and so this it's kind of like immersion therapy for her, where she, she's forced to spend a few days with this kind of alien version of her husband. But then because the aliens used the, 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 the late husband's DNA to come back, whenever he impregnates her, it is like very much like the baby that she always wanted to have. And it's like a way of continuing their love. It's a metaphor, Vicky. It's, it's the symbol of their love that carries on to this day. Maybe I did. It's because I didn't watch it at night. Maybe it's because I watched it during the day. I always feel this way about day watchers. I I don't feel I get the full emotional impact. It's very possible. (laughs) What did you think of, um, what do you think of Jeff Bridges' performance? Because he's like, it was he, good, wasn't it? It's like he normally he, plays he a... almost he almost goes too far though, but he just keeps think? it in line. Yeah, he does. It's like a Rain Man scenario where like, oh, you're you're riding that line, but he manages to just be like endearing, and like charismatic mm. enough. Because in in most of his roles, you know, I feel like he's either really super charming or he's you know the dude and like yeah. he's like there's basically those two things and so this was different for him for me he, he like yeah he was the more calmer more like i haven't seen the side of his acting maybe because i haven't went through most of his profile yet but in general it's just something new for me to see and he's so adorable and yeah. in the end you know he's driving a cadillac and he has this, the last 40 minutes he has this insanely cool statement jacket and i'm just like yeah, I'm kind of in love with him now, which is, which not, is I think, what the film was meant to do. Yeah, massively. <laughs> yeah, it's, massively. It, it's not like... It's not like he's not trying... It's not like he doesn't try anymore, but, like, this was a time when he wasn't a star. He wasn't, like, an A-lister, and he was still kind of looking for that breakthrough performance. So, like, he's he's trying different things before he just fell into just kind of playing himself, but incredibly mm-hmm. well and successfully. But um, I'm glad you uh, suggested it to me. Um, nice. I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't Good. have watched it unless you told me to. Maybe I would have eventually gotten around to it, but it probably would have been the last on my Carpenter list, which is It was the last shame. on mine, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really liked it. Cool. Thank you very much. Well, anyone yeah. listening that's curious, I'm, I cannot recommend it enough. If you're looking for, like, even if you're just looking for, like, a sappy love story, I have no interest in sci-fi just watch it it's so engaging yeah watch it check it out yeah with beautiful music engaging with beautiful music which is yeah carpenter special i guess yeah okay speaking uh, about good music <laughs> are we gonna move on to mine i think it's yeah i think that's a nice segue so vicky recommended uh i watch chung king express uh vicky is not the first person to recommend this film to me but i know it's very close to her heart um, it is about, I didn't really know anything about it. I just know it's a famous love story going in. Um, mm. but it's, it's not effectively... his most famous love story, but it's my favorite of his, you know, I, I mean, it's the only one I've heard of, of his the most that in 2046, I think I've heard referenced the most. Um, but it's basically, it's two stories. They don't run parallel. It's one after the other. One's about the first story is about a woman who runs a drug traff. Are they drug traffickers? Yeah, the drug traffickers. Yeah. Um, moving in and out of yeah. some country, and then uh, a guy who's trying desperately to get over his girlfriend who's just broken up with him, and their their paths cross, and then after that, there's a second much longer story about. Um, 
a cop that does his regular patrol. Before he finishes every shift, he stops by this little uh, kind of food shop. Uh, and it's very slowly starts to come around to the fact that he might be attracted to one of the girls that works there. But then secretly she harbors like a huge crush and then starts kind of stalking him and invading his home without him knowing. And shenanigans ensue. Um, I I thought it was pretty good, Vicky. I maybe maybe okay. it's been overhyped. Um, it looks gorgeous. It's, it, it, yeah. It's very nineties. Um, <laughs> I had to look it up because it, it said it was. It said it was a Rolling Thunder picture, and I was like, "That's." I'm pretty sure that's Tarantino's label, so it must have been one of his early films. I looked it up. It was like one of the one of the reasons it seems that he founded. Uh, his Rolling Thunder label was to give this film like a wide release, as wide a release as possible. Oh my God, Tarantino! Uh, so yeah, he obviously he is a big fan. I've read that apparently Barry Jenkins is a really good fan. You can tell like there's such a strong mm. use of colors on skin. That's kind of like yeah, I can definitely see that being Barry Jenkins's deal. Um, I I don't know because I was I was watching it and I was like even after I watched it I was like trying to find why I liked the double narrative, what the kind of bigger themes were. Uh, I mean, what do you think about it? What do you think about, like, the, what do you think about the split narrative, the kind of the half-hour story and then the yeah. hour 20 story? I didn't know that was going to happen, uh, obviously. No. Um, so when I was watching the film, I was very confused. Uh, but I thought it was a nice way to end the first story. I thought the way it ended with her, you know, wishing him a happy birthday after she was basically... You know, she kills a bunch of people and then gets away with her, you know, her accident yeah. because she loses all the drugs in the drug trafficking. <laughs> and yeah. so when that happens, I'm like, that's a cool way to end it, you know? And then I was like, okay, we're moving on, you know? <laughs> and like, never mind, here we go again. Because I was like, like I say, I was, I was trying to think about whether or not I liked the split narrative, uh, whether I felt it was like thematically resonant. It's definitely like... It's definitely a very bohemian film. Like, it does weird stuff with the editing. The costumes are kind of strange at times. Um, obviously, the fact that it's split into two unevenly run stories. Um, but do you know much about the kind of background and, like, how it got made and why it got made? Because I kind of started to look into it. Right. Yeah. So apparently, there is some kind of... He was, was basically contractually obligated to make a certain number of films, and he kind of made this one very quickly in between two films. And the more I, the more I read about this, the more I was like, "Oh no, I no everything ev- everything I wasn't sure about is kind of answered." Um, so apparently, it was supposed to be three stories, and apparently, he was like he was like writing the scenes the night before or the morning of shooting. So it was very much, nothing was planned. It was very much three stories. We'll film it as we go, see how long each one's going to be. There was going to be a third story, but that ended up being, I guess the second story ran too long, and his third story ended up being the basis for a different film he made. Um, And it just, the more I read about it, the more every kind of creative decision felt kind of, I don't know... There's still a lot of artistic merit to the film, without a doubt. But like the reason, the the love interest, the woman in the first part of the story, wears like that garish wig and the sunglasses and the overcoat is mm. because she was apparently filming another film at the same time, and she didn't have time to change out of her like makeup. 
so they had to cover her as best they could. So it was like yeah. all these kind of creative decisions. I'm like, mm, okay, I I appreciate that. Like I say, it's a bohemian kind of thing, and it it's very mm. easy to get lost into it. But me watching it in the year 2021 and trying to get that, I can definitely feel people watching in the 90s being like, oh, this is so avant-garde and interesting and cool. And any anything ambitious and experimental is fun, and interesting and cool. Mm. But I think I just I mean it has, I struggle it has to engage. You know, what was it? California Dreaming is like it's blood oh my flowing God. throughout the whole thing. It just oh my keeps God, playing. So many but times. So many plays, and honestly, it's because I saw um, the scene of her singing it. I think in like a YouTube essay on the best use of music in film, and I remember like seeing that, and I've been I was wanting to get into one car eye for like a, a long time yeah because I, he's basically like you know the kind of thing that you know instagram posts that come up all the time i'm constantly reposting them because it's so like um the snippets are just so aesthetically cool oh sure uh, but the whole the whole the whole film together is it, it can be a bit jumbled i can 100 percent get that but like if you take just small sections of it you it just like makes up to be this like i don't know it's small sections it's great the whole thing I would say it's a bit uncoordinated, but I still love it. His romance done well in the mood for love. It, oh, it sure. takes its more time. I think it was probably the film filmed before this, which may be why he was in such a rush and just yeah. grabbed Tony Lung, like, you're coming with me again. <laughs> like, yeah. let's do this thing. But um, yeah, I, I, I would I'd say... Be, the best thing I can say about Chunking Express is that I'd be curious, more curious now to see what he can do when he has time to plan out something and, like, really dedicate dedicate his efforts to it you were still connected okay cool so i think i think i think yeah. you're fine awesome interesting cool that came out the book this will be this will be a very heavily edited episode <laughs> yeah 100 percent. if, it, if okay. it ever airs at all <laughs> thank you Morgan. this is a test this is a test run yeah we're gonna say this is a test run Oh, 100%. If we're saying it, if we're saying it's a test film, can I go and grab another beer? Yeah, I need to <laughs> grab another beer. Well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So, Vicky, know any virgins? Mm. <laughs> I like that. I, like- I know one of them. <laughs> uh, so, I think this is. <laughs> oh a well, that's one. a separate conversation. I didn't. I didn't expect <laughs> to open a door there. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I was referring to you know the big mishap in the film that we're about to mention, which oh, is. Sure. Uh, uh, Fred Decker's Monster Squad from 1987. Isn't is Shane? Oh, what's his? Oh, no, what's his name? Shane Black. Yeah. Co-written by <laughs> Shane Black and his best friend Fred. I don't know if they're best friends. I assume they're friends. Fred Decker. You can Shane assume Black. they're friends. If you know yeah. you made a film together, I would assume they're friends as well. So um, you've got yeah, you recommended to me uh, Monster Squad, which was a first time watch for me, obviously, and I loved it. Which yeah. is not, which yeah, is did. like, you, yeah, you, yeah, I did. You knew I was going to. Um, so you've got basically a Goonies gang with some great costume and makeup done by Stan Wilson. You know, the monsters are excellent. Win- you've got these. Stan who? Stan Wilson. Winston. 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 There you go. Winston. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then yeah. this, this incredible setting of, you know, Sacrificial virgins and a Stephen King rules T-shirt. And don't forget a gross overuse of the F word, but not that F word. 
oh my god <laughs> when I, I was like this is not this hasn't aged well but i mean i would time, i wouldn't be shocked if kids just... are still talking like that yeah i wouldn't either that's the thing um, to a certain to a certain point it's like that is fairly authentic certainly in the 80s a hundred percent i think this is just a bunch of fun and i had a great time with it I have um, I have this section called First Watch Bullshit Notes. It's basically just things I type into my phone quite desperately as I'm trying to watch the film as well. <laughs> you start off the film with um, a gem virgin getting sucked into a wormhole. Yes. Pretty traumatizing to start off, mm. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and then- Because um, you can relate, straight... <laughs> 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 And then you've got, you know, the Stephen King's Rules t-shirt. Um, and then all I have is that the second character, so you've got the two guys before Horace gets involved, which is, you know, the, the trope fat kid. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, so I've got one of them would definitely grow up to be a fuckboy because of his Hawaiian shirt and his skater skills. Oh, sure. Yeah. Don't they I even just call, like, don't they just call the fat kid fat kid? No, they call him Horace. And what I have is... written, I've got justice for Horace <laughs> written down. What which which Goonies ripoff do they call the fat kid? Fat kid. Chunk. Oh no no they call in the Goonies they call him Chunk. Yeah no yeah and they do the trouble show. What I swear there's a Goonies ripoff where they they just call the kid fat kid. He is definitely called fat kid throughout, but his name is definitely Horace. Oh, I just know him as fat kid then. It's like they bought into the trope so hard they were just like we're just let's call mm. him cool kid, fat kids, main kids. But it was a good trope. I think it's a great trope. I don't... So apart from Goonies, and obviously, you can say Stand By Me, but Stand By Me is way darker than both of these films. But, like, what else is is there? I think because this was, like, 80s prime... Well, late 80s, but still the prime of it, you know? I mean, God. If you give me some time, Vicky, I can think of some Goonies. No, it's... I've kind of like, sprung it's, this it's, on it's you. It's like E.T. is like, oh, man... It's like you don't think there's many E.T. ripoffs until you start naming them, and you're like, even Starman. <laughs> Starman is an E.T. ripoff. That's how better, many there better are. Better E.T. Better we couldn't ET. get through one episode without a fucking E.T. ripoff. <laughs> Great knowledge. Um, so yeah, you've got. Um, if we describe the kind of plot of the film, because we haven't done that yet, I haven't done that yet. So basically, you have, uh, you know, Van Helsing. Um, trying to destroy the group of monsters many years, like a hundred years previously. Um, he almost succeeds, but not really. He doesn't. He um, he gets what you have to do is there's this gem, and you have to read from a book, and that develops a wormhole of some sort that was meant to suck them the monsters and destroy them. It doesn't work. So a hundred years later, the monsters are back, in you know, a suburban town, which it always is. And you've got Dracula collecting all the monsters together and wanting to end the world. And then you've got, you know, the 80s squad of these kids pulling up, knowing that they're the only ones that can actually do it and pull it off, which is I just, great. <laughs> I just I just had to look it up because I was like, monsters getting sucked into a wormhole. And I was like, which, which came first, this or Evil Dead 2? And they both came out the same year. How bizarre oh that two, two awesome... <laughs> Monster horror comedies came out the same year that involved monsters getting sucked into wormholes. I don't but think the it's been done well since, really. No? I don't think <laughs> they even bothered. It's like, oh fuck, we got two of these in one year, let's just skip it. Never mind, we're done. We're done with wormholes. I don't really think it's came off. Um, so yeah, I've got, uh, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein. They start off as friendship goals. Yeah. Basically, Dracula 
has, you know, electric clips for Frankenstein stored in his staff. Basically, like, you know, girls, like, carry, you know, hair clips and stuff for their friends in their purse. Basically, sure. he's just prepared. Like, he, like, helps Frankenstein <laughs> out. Then you've got Tom Noonan from, you know, yeah. Manhunter yeah. playing Frankenstein. And he, within the first two seconds, he's charmed by a little girl and becomes yeah. best friends with them all. Yeah. What no, a, a beautiful scene. I, like, if you, if you were going to describe this to someone, it's like, there's a moment where Frankenstein gets sucked into a wormhole and he's clutching a teddy bear, and you will cry. <laughs> You're like, you'd be like, "Fuck off! What are you talking about? You know, that sounds ridiculous." But like, they sell it. They really do sell it, and it's it's you know it's great. And then you've got like, this is what annoyed me. You've got one of the better characters that helps them out. So you've got um, a German old man, an old man that speaks German, known, yes. and his only he's known as the old German guy. Yes, that scary, is, scary that, old German guy scary old german guy yeah but um he helps them out to translate the book that they find written you know by the original van helsing and uh then he just becomes you know he takes care of the little girl like the little sister basically when they all get kidnapped and like um what's it called and then you he there's like a small moment where they're like, you really know about monsters, sir? And then it flashes to his, like, Holocaust tattoos. And I yeah. was just like, this is such a touchy moment of, like, yeah. sadness in this, like, crazy this, whirlwind of comedy. Like, what? This is not a... Yeah, to a, At certain points, you're like, this is not a children's film. Like, I, yeah. sw I swear, that, that like, was the moment. Yeah. The, like, the 100%. moment... The moment where it's, like, what happens to Wolfman is, like, oh, my God. Like... This it's poor so guy violent. is basically turned and, in. Yeah. Yeah. He basically just turns into a werewolf. He tells them, I'm a werewolf, kill me. And then he basically just obviously has werewolves eyes. He's taken against his will, becomes a werewolf, and kills loads of people. And then he's just blown up a bunch of times. He's blown up in the most horrific, aggressive way. There's like, um, isn't there like Brides of Dracula? I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, isn't no, there, there like is the Bri Brides of Dracula? They're like mm. very sexual. Basically, all they do is like this. Like he's based. Dracula kidnaps three delivery girls, turn them into the brides of Dracula. That's it. Yeah. And all they do is they show up later in at the end of the film, about to you know, kill one of the guys, and then they just all get sucked into the wormhole as well. And I think yeah. they get stabbed in the like they're not there for very long. And I was like, do you need the brides of Dracula in this film? Is this like a substantial point? But it's not. It's just. I guess there. if you're trying to sell it to teenage boys, then it, it definitely helps. Does help with that show time of like two then, minutes of screen. <laughs> then you've got Frankenstein Hutch clutching a teddy bear, so it's like, God, it's anyone, anyone's game. Um, I think um, one of my bullet points is that um, my favorite character was you know the older, the older cool Rudy who saves Horace within the first five minutes, and yeah. it turns out to be you know the actual MVP of the film because this is a child that ended up making silver bullets in school. That's so cool. He gives me like insane Rod Lane vibes from like, Nightmare on Elm Street. He's like, that's which one's Rod Lane? He's the one that's um, having sex with his girlfriend and then basically gets framed for her murder and then he dies oh, yeah. in a cell. Oh <laughs> that's yeah, him. yeah. That, that, chances are that was his ultimate fate. Yeah. What else happens in Monster Squad? It's such a. It's a just such a like. Because it's like, like I say, it's co-written by, like Fred Decker did Night of the Creeps. Which yeah, is a film I've um, recommended to you. Have you watched it yet? No, so I literally have oh, that. He did Night of the Creeps, which I know you've watched and I know you love, and I'll get round to it's it. So also, he did, good. 
He did RoboCop 3 as well. Have you oh, gotten we, around to we, RoboCop we don't, 3? We don't talk about RoboCop 3. Never mind. Because I know, as a big fan of RoboCop you are, I was like, I wonder why he hasn't mentioned that before, but we never yeah, mind. <laughs> I found out why. RoboCop 2 is great, but... And then the kids end up, you know, save the little girl, the daughter ends up saving everyone, which yeah. is my favorite thing is the fact that they drag one of the the other kids' sister to do the readings because she's took, taken uh, German in high school, but turns yeah. out she's not a virgin. So that's when they have to la, get the la, little la. girl. Even though no, it's like I know, like I know, like a virgin, like the dictionary definition of a virgin is like a girl typically, but it's like. They're all virgins. Like, They're like, all virgins. As soon as they find out this piece of information, like any one of them could have done this. It, it worked out in the end. She read it well. But yeah, <laughs> I... Uh, so many... When you like talk about Monster Squad, like actually talk about the, the crazy shit that happens in it. It doesn't yeah. even sound like a real film at all. No. But it's it's super good. And I can't believe... Yeah. I've, it's, it's been on my watch list for so long. But at the same time... Um, I haven't been able to find it anywhere, so I'm really glad it's came onto Amazon Prime recently. Oh yeah, just recently, hasn't Literally. it? Yeah. yeah, that was planned. So, um... I planned that. Did you know that? <laughs> you got in contact. You got in yeah. contact with Prime. Yeah. So yeah, um, there we go. I'm I'm really happy. I finally got round to it. I think oh, I'm it's so glad you enjoyed it. Halloween Halloween watches that I'll constantly go back to. So moving on to uh, the last film we have to yes. talk about. How what? did you find my recommendation? So, Vicky's monster recommendation. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, this was monster recommendation. But it's also yeah, kind of it a love story. It's very much a love story as well. It's very much um, a love story. It's American International, which is, uh, oh, God, James Nicholson and uh, Arkoff. Something Z Arkoff. I can't remember his name now. Uh, and then uh, it's most... Uh, People usually refer to American International as the Roger Corman Company. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the uh, let me get this right: the Abominable Doctor Fives, not the Abominable Doctor Fives, the Abominable Doctor Fives. Someone you don't want to hang around with. That kind of abominable. Um, <laughs> a crazy, wild, colorful early seventies fever dream revenge love story. You've got all um, the great keywords right in there. I got. The I, I I feel like I nailed. It. I didn't even write that down. I swear, it's a revenge love story. So basically, uh, we open the film with scientists. Uh, no, not scientists. Surgeons. Surgeons or people of a certain medical profession being murdered in various crazy ways by this mysterious Doctor Fibes and his assistant. Um, and he starts off by using like animals and insects to do his murders. And then as the film progresses, we kind of learn about the story through the police detectives at Scotland Yard who are figuring out the mystery. And it's that, um, I'm not going to lie, I don't know if I missed something, but it's like, the all of, it turns out that all of these surgeons worked on Dr. Fibes' wife. Dr. Fibes mm -hmm. was a famous organist. Mm -hmm. And then what? One day, while Doctor Fives is in Switzerland, the mm -hmm. head, the head of the surgeons, is working on Doctor Fives's wife. She dies, and uh, while he's rushing back into his car, Doctor Fives crashes, uh, effectively fakes his death, and is now getting revenge on all the surgeons 
who that worked on at, her that at day. some point worked on her. But he's also using uh, the Ten Plagues of Egypt uh, as like a metaphorical kind of something to get just it's just a kind of thematically tie all of his murders together with, I, um, great necklace great decorative necklaces with great to go decorative along with necklaces it. with yeah hebrew symbols hebrew on, hebrew which symbols is, which i i quite like because usually with horror films it's like it's usually quite christiany it's either christian or pagan so i was like i was like it's kind of neat to have like a kind of a hebrew themed horror film in such a way mm-hmm. um i I really enjoyed it. The colors. I really enjoyed the colors. It's like everyone's wallpaper is either like dramatic pink or Dr. Fibes' palace is just kind of like indigo and he's got his clockwork band. That's With like the kind of um, Pepto-Bismol pink faces. Yes. Which is what yeah. I... They're, they're, the, they're so yeah. captivating. The whole like... The reason I recommended this film and the reason why I rate it so highly is the whole set design, the whole like theatrics of the movie is incredible and when i watched it that that's what made it so entertaining i like i this i really like stories and it's i think it's like such an underutilized thing of like stories from like the mad scientist perspective like the fu manchu perspective i was like i always mm. think about like that been batman forever where uh, uh two-face and the riddler are like trying to stop batman from getting into the little like secret palace and they're like Batman keeps like screwing over their plans and they like, keep coming up with new tricks to try and get them and like I'd love the whole movie of just like an evil scientist trying to stop the good guy from getting into his palace um, <laughs> so that, that was kind of like this it was like the detectives are kind of like dumb uh, and they're just kind of like trying to work out the mystery as they go and like Dr. Fives is always one step ahead of them the reason I like suggested he's a monster is basically because he just doesn't die so ba- he was he's he's horribly deformed when he takes off you know when vincent price takes off you know the the pale makeup you'll see like his deformed face underneath. when he takes off a mask to yeah. reveal another mask beneath that one yeah exactly that's it so he is a monster in himself and uh you've got like the my favorite character of the whole thing's Envil navia i think played by i think it's virginia north in this the first film because okay. it has a sequel played by a different woman, but um, Volnavia is just this, uh, she basically stands as like a statement of the fashion of the time, and just like the kind of, she's she's one of the, the best sidekicks I've ever seen in a horror yeah. film. She's just, I think like, Volnavia and Dr. Fives are one of those duos, which I didn't realise I would instantly love together, but they seem sure. to be like, in my mind, as like the best duo going. <laughs> the weird thing with Volnavia is, um... It's like, obviously he's got, like, Dr. Fibes has his clockwork band, and then mm. Volna- Volnavia walks and talks and acts like a robot, if she talks at all. And then I was waiting for the reveal where she turns out to be a robot, and it never happens. So I, like, I looked it up, and apparently she was supposed to be a robot the whole time, but uh, the director wanted to give her, like, more humanity, or, like, he wanted her to move in such a way that it, he felt a robot would never move. So it's like, even at the end, kind of spoilers, there's like some acid gets spilled on her and I'm like, oh, it's going to mm. be like a robot face. But then she just kind of like disappears. She just screams in pain and that's the end. I'm like, Dr. Fibes did her so dirty. <laughs> he just goes oh, back yeah. to his coffin. But I mean, Vol- Volnavia is such a funny early 70s kind of kitsch name. Like I've, I've got like, I've got like two names that would, ar- would arguably be 
slightly less subtle. I've got Vag Bosom, which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty excellent. And uh, my favorite was Labiola. Oh my god, this is going to end up being so one like, of our film quiz team names like, coming in the next coming weeks. <laughs> but like, it's just so like, it's like, it's not quite pussy galore, but man, it's trying to be. But now I think, I like, I don't know, it, I don't think it's going to be one I come back to a lot. I think it's very enjoyable. It's very enjoyable, but much like Dr. Fibes' face, there's not much keeping it together. It's certainly not a bad film. I don't want to say it's... I don't want to take away anything from it, but it is, at a certain point, it just becomes kind of like one thing after another, and then just a really bizarre ending <laughs> that just kind of, that it just well, kind of ends. Well, getting ready for the sequel. So, I rem- so the reason why I recently discovered this film is because I definitely watched it as a child. Like, my dad definitely put it on the TV, and for like the past 10 years, I'm going to say, I've just had the scene of the acid getting dropped on someone's face. Okay. And like, the, I knew there was like a man and a woman locked in the room for eternity. And like, okay. that's been playing in my head. And then like, we only rediscovered my dad. I was like questioning, like drilling my dad throughout lockdown. I was like, what is this film? He's like, it's Dr. Fives. And because it's been years of like trying to discover it, maybe that's why it holds such a place in my heart. Oh, sure. But like, um, I really, I love this film and I'm glad you kind of liked it. Not oh, no, I, I, I 100% liked it. Yeah. Can we briefly yeah. talk about like, can I briefly surmise yeah. the opening of the sequel? Because oh my god, because yeah. Go I love retcons, but my god! So at the end of at the end of Go Doctor Fibes one, he gets he enters the tomb with his dead wife to sleep with her forever, mm. and he has he has a contraption that will suck out his blood, and replace it with bottles that very clearly say embalming fluids on them in big bold letters. Doctor Fibes rises again, opens up. And uh, after three years, the moon will be in a position it hasn't been in for 2,000 years, which triggers the suspended animation fluid, not the embalming fluid that it deceptively says in the bottles, to be rinsed out of his body and replaced with his preserved blood from three years prior so he can rise and go to Egypt, where he has discovered the secret to both reanimation and eternal life. Man, and that that whole like surgeon killing thing was just filler. It was just time killing until he could get to this fucking Egypt thing. He just wanted to have those funky necklaces made, and then oh, yeah. like, melt their faces on this like, beautiful wax bus. I could be entombed with my wife now, but I want these necklaces. Why and I not? Wanna kill, I want to kill some people with bees and spiders before I take you know the ferry across the channel. <laughs> <laughs> That that's yeah. a great part of it. The fact that they have um all the that he brings the band as well. That's great. great. Yeah, he brings a band and his yeah. wife just in the cargo bay. <laughs> like the destroyed band because the whole of Doctor Five's palaces get burned out and the band yeah. goes with it, but they're all restored. Cool. But yeah, that that pretty much that pretty much does it. So uh, Do you think we have I enough really for enjoyed- our first episode? I mean, I think we do. I think we've shot through those four films, five, five and films, pretty, pretty good, good timing. So, where could you find? Where can we find all of these films? Love and Monsters is out on Netflix from today, yes. so that's a 
main focus, new release. Um, we both really love it. Um, Monster Squad uh, is on Amazon Prime, which will probably stay there for a pretty a, a while before it becomes, like yeah, we said, an elusive fight. Yeah. It's just come on. Um, Starman. It's on Chili. <laughs> What's Chili? Chili TV? Oh, uh, no, okay. You, yeah, you can, you can rent it on Amazon, Chili, YouTube. Amazing. Okay. And then the last ones we have is Chunking, so there's the DVD. And then I'm guessing rent on Amazon again. But I, right. um, a really cool thing is that the Criterion Collection is coming up with their giant one car wide oh. um, release, which we're all gearing up, well, I'm personally gearing up to buy. <laughs> we, as if you're going to drop £150 on that. But maybe to watch the other ones, yeah. And then the last one we have is Dr. Fibes. I have um, the lovely Arrow Distributed Blu-ray. But yes. I pretty... I think that's... I think that may be the only way because it's quite it's quite an elusive film. Without Arrow Distribution, I don't know how I would have found it again, to be honest. Definitely worth mm. a check out. Um, I don't think, like, there was nothing... I don't think there's anything we, like, particularly disagreed on. I don't think so either. It's a very amiable episode. I mean, it definitely won't continue that way, but for us personally, I think we did pretty well. Yeah, no, I'm disappointed. (laughs) I'm disappointed at the quality of films we recommended each other. We'll be sure to recommend some real turds to you next time. Um, Oh, we should talk about what we're going to do next time. That's true. So our next episode, it will be next week, and... After next week is, I don't know, maybe the big event of the film season known as the Oscars. But um, uh, are we going to, apart from our Oscar coverage, are we going to recommend each other one more? Yes. Do you but have we'll one do... to recommend me? <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't thought about this. No. <laughs> How about we start next week by just going into it? You have to catch the next episode, guys, to find out That's true. what we recommend so, each other. For next week, Oscars and one recommendation each. One that we might hate. One that we want the other one to hate. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good goal. Oh, that. Yeah. Let's try that for next week and see how it goes. We've agreed too much. They got the wrong side of our friendship. They think we're too easy pleasers, but that's yeah. not us at all. <laughs> Something you love that you know I will hate. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Cool. Hundred percent. And uh, if we, you know, edit this. And it's okay. This might go up on Spotify, but we're yet to see. Mm-hmm.